0: On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we do doing a recap of Super Bowl 55. We'll also get to the quarterback rumor mill that is going crazy in the NFL right now. Uh, we'll kind of give you a short preview on the Patriots um, offseason and kind of what to expect. Uh, we'll jump into the Bruins, give you guys an update on the bees' Big win last night, so we'll uh, give you guys uh, kind of a breakdown of that win at Madison Square Garden. Uh, we will talk about the NHL kind of uh, news and notes from around the league. We'll get to the same with the NBA. We'll talk about the Celtics and kind of they're in a little bit of a rut right now, but they got some home games coming up. So uh, we'll get you guys to uh, maybe start feeling a little more positive about the Celtics. Uh, We will get to some MLB. We'll get to the Red Sox. Obviously, a lot of people uh, already talking about Andrew Benintendi being traded to Kansas City. Uh, So we'll have a full trade breakdown of that as well. Other baseball notes we'll get to as well. I will also give you guys an update for uh, men's and women's college basketball as we are uh, about a month or so out from March Madness. So we'll give you guys um, an update on that as well. So uh, let's get into it. It is episode 75 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at NotBoston. You can also follow our Facebook page as well. Um, And now you can listen to the podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Search in the name Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast and you'll find it. Uh, give us a subscription, that would be awesome, on the, on Apple Podcasts, uh, you know, any comments you guys have, ratings, uh, whatever, you can add us to your stream on Spotify, um, so we'll get right into uh, today's episode, um, a lot of NFL, obviously there's a lot uh, to break down from the Super Bowl um, on Sunday, so we will um, get right into that um so let's, let's do it. Let's get right into uh, the NFL. Obviously, Super Bowl 55. Talked to you guys uh, last week before the game. And as you know, I can tell you I'm not the only one that uh, promised a classic, you know, back and forth, legendary Super Bowl that no one will ever forget. Um, I can guarantee you I was not the only person to think that way. Um, but what we got was uh, a dud. Pretty much, you know, a game that I think got way out of hand and, you know, went a direction that I don't think anyone really saw coming. Um, You know, obviously coming into this game, um, the Chiefs were going to be without their top two um, offensive tackles. You know, so Eric Fisher, um, the left tackle, blanking on who the right tackle is, but they were missing both of those guys. Um, So, you know, going in that, you know, Todd Bowles is going to draw up, you know, a really solid defensive game plan that probably was going to try to take advantage of that um, and take advantage of it, you know, did, did they, you know, they were in Patrick Mahomes face the whole game. Um, you know, as, as I'm watching the beginning of the game, you know, and anytime you watch a game in the beginning, you know, they're flashing the starting lineups um, and this and that, but it's like looking at what, Tampa Bay rolls out there in terms of a linebacker group, you know, the four of Shaq Barrett, JPP, Devin White, and Levante David. I mean, that is probably one of the best units um, in the the NFL. It probably is definitely the best unit in the NFL. Um, And so, you know, looking at that much talent that they could roll out there, um, they got to the Chiefs and got to Mahomes and – you know, got to him in a way that I don't think that we have ever seen. You know, I think that you saw a defense that, apologize for the dog barking, Um, you saw a defense that flustered Mahomes and made him look like, you know, any other quarterback, you know, and it's really a credit to Todd Bowles and that defense that they were able to make Mahomes, you know, look like a chicken with his head cut off that, He's just running around there, not doing anything, you know, and did a great job defending Tyreek Kill. You know, that's the best job I've ever seen a team defend against him. You know, playing that too deep safety look that we're really willing to give him anything, you know, underneath, but, you know, we're not going to let the Chiefs beat them deep and they did a fantastic job. Um, and so I think a lot of people, you know, want to make this game about, you know, Brady and he was amazing, which he was. I think he was very good in this game but with the way that that defense played he did not need to be you know spectacular he did not need to be throwing for 300 400 yards in this game that you know he threw for about 200 yards you know and they won easily so I think this game to me is a lot more about what the Buccaneers did on defense than you know what they did on offense you know Brady was was good you know he was great as he usually is um, in games like this where really plays his best football, you know, doesn't turn the ball over, is smart with his decisions, um, and it just, Tampa Bay just really, from the, from the start, you could just tell that this was going to be a game that, you know, probably was going to be low scoring, um, at, at, at least on one end, you know, when you saw how well the Buccaneers were playing on defense, you were like, okay, this is probably going to be a game maybe kind of like Giants Patriots uh from two thousand uh two thousand seven, you know, the 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 nineteen and oh game, um or I should say eighteen and one, um, that you had a high flying offense with, you know, all the all the weapons that they had and that you were gonna see a defense that was gonna be able to shut them down. I just did not expect Tampa Bay to put up thirty one points. Um, I just did not expect to see that. And, you know, it's one of those games where, you know, Tampa Bay just kept delivering, you know, these, these punches. And you're figuring, okay, you know, when is Kansas City going to turn it on? You know, when are they going to come back? When are they ultimately going to get it all figured out? You know, and you even thought that at 21-6, to six, you know, at halftime. You're like, okay, you know, Chiefs will just, you know, they played a, not a great half of football. Um, but it just, you know, nothing really changed. And, you know, I think really a credit to the Bucks defense for not stopping, for not putting their, for not taking their foot off the gas pedal, um, and really flustering the homes. You know, he looked, I've never seen him look like that, um, in a game, you know, when we've seen him play fantastic games, you know, we've seen him go off, you know, we've seen him off to one of the best starts in sports history, you know, when you look at, what he's been able to do in his first few years as a starter, you know, not really seen dominance like that. And, you know, this was, you know, it's just crazy that it's like, if this is really his worst game of his career, you know, two seventy and two interceptions, you know, I think most quarterbacks will take that, you know, maybe I shouldn't say it like that, but you know, if that's a bad day for him, it's like, whoa, okay. You know, this guy really is special. And, yeah, he had a couple of those throws that just were like, okay, how does he do that? Um, yeah, you you know the one I'm talking about, the one that everyone's talking about, you know, the greatest throw. It's like, all right, you know, that that's fine and all, but, you know, it had no outcome on the – no, no, you know, effect on the final score. Um, and it's like, hey, it was a tremendous throw. It was pretty amazing, but, you know, you kind of need to stop there. I think some people were uh, taking it a little too far. Um, talking about, you know, oh, this was, a, you know, wh- wh- whatever people are going to say, you know, about him. And I think that, unfortunately, the the hype around him has maybe led some people to, you know, not really like him and not really like the Chiefs. You know, I know some people don't like them for certain reasons and, you know, reasons that I think are pretty fair. Um, but I think, unfortunately, you know, he is built up as this, you know, God, basically, by certain members of the media. And so it's like, I don't know, it just sometimes feels like there's too much pressure on him and it kind of felt like it got to him. But I don't think it was, you know, pressure from the outside. I mean, I think it was literal pressure from, you know, Tampa Bay being able to get in the backfield and, you know, took advantage of the two tackles that, you know, missed the game. So, you know, I don't really want to get into a full game breakdown just because, you know, the game's happened, a couple days ago, so, you know, we kind of knew how the game went, you know, I think it'd be different if the game was, you know, a classic and really close, but um, it definitely, you know, brought up the conversations about, you know, Brady and Belichick, and look, I already gave my thoughts about, about that, and, you know, I think that I'll just stand firm with what I said, you know, they're both outstanding, you know, and I just think to get into a debate, a fierce debate about, oh, who needed who more, you know, and that sort of thing. It just kind of gets into uh, an area that I think is a little uncomfortable where it's like, look, the Patriots have benefited from both of them being together and both of them, you know, working as a duo. And it just is like, you know, naturally with, you know, certain certain media markets, it just – there has to always be this – I don't know. It's just like there always have to be stories that, you know, come out of nothing where it's like, oh, you know, I bet Belichick's, you know, you know, getting really, you know, upset seeing Brady win. And it's like, I I don't think so. I mean, I think like he's probably happy for him, but it's like, you know, Bill, like he's not someone that's going to, I don't know, pay attention to that sort of extra stuff. And it's like the thing that he's going to focus on is improving the Patriots, improving this team you know, getting them back to being a playoff team. And I think, you know, that to me is way more important than paying attention to how many Super Bowls Tom has, or how many Super Bowls he's won, or how many, you know, whatever. It's just people being like, oh, you know, Brady is the edge over Belichick. Well, it's like, they both won six Super Bowls together. So it's like, I'm not really sure you can say, oh, you know, Brady has seven Super Bowls, Belichick is, it's like, it's just some pointless debate that I think is just a product of the media market that, that we're in that there always has to be a conversation about things like that, where it's like, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't, but there always has to be, there always has to be a debate about who's better, who benefited more. And it's just like, that, that's a thing that will, you know, rage on until Tom Brady and, and Bill retire, you know, probably pass them. Um, so you know good for tom good for the the bucks to you know go all in as they did in the off season and you know see that pay off um, but I thought that you know it wasn't just Brady and Gronk you know it was a full team effort you know I think that the defense really came to play in that Super Bowl and you know it really was a tremendous you know defensive game plan tremendous game to watch from like a defensive standpoint you know if you're a person that gets really hyped up about you know, defense is playing really well and kind of setting the tone, you know, that was the game for you. So Tampa Bay, the Super Bowl win, their first since 2002, had the parade the other day. Um, And the Chiefs, you know, Mahomes having uh, surgery, I think, on the toe. So uh, you better believe that both of these teams are going to be back in the mix next year. You know, maybe not winning the Super Bowl, maybe not going to the Super Bowl necessarily, but they will absolutely have something to say about, Um, next season as well you know and you heard tom say some of the things that he said after the game that you know we're looking to come back here we're looking to be right back here so you know i think that um it will be interesting it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens with tampa bay because i know that they have a number of key free agents that they probably would like to bring back um you know i'm not sure about kansas city you know be interesting to see what ends up happening with that roster um and you know that'll probably just lead into our next conversation about um, just off season craziness. And I think that you know this could be an off season unlike any other. You know, you're already you've I mean, geez, we already saw a trade before the Super Bowl with uh, Stafford and Goff, You know, and that was a pretty big time trade. You know, you're hearing stuff. You know, we heard stuff about Deshaun Watson. You know, I'm not imagining that things are going to heat up anytime soon, but I think that they will at some point. Um, I mean, to me, there's no way that he goes through this offseason without being traded. I just don't see that being had I just don't see that happening. Um, but you've heard rumors about a bunch of quarterbacks being on, the, being on the block. You know, Carson Wentz, I think, was the biggest name that we've heard in the last week or so that it's kind of just a matter of time before the Eagles trade him. Um, however, you know, he, according to some reports, you know, they want more than one first-round pick for Carson Wentz, which— to me, I think is, is crazy. I think that he's a guy that, well, while, you know, was tremendous in that, um, you know, season that he um, tore his ACL late in the season, you know, probably if he doesn't get hurt that season, he probably wins the MVP um, and really was tremendous. That season has had a couple of good years, you know, contrary to popular belief, Last season, he wasn't bad either. You know, 27 touchdowns, um, 7 interceptions, 4,000 yards, uh, 64% uh, completion percentage. Um, But he was really bad this year. You know, played in only 12 games. Completion percentage was well under 60%. 16 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Um, And so, you know, it's interesting because he's a player that has tremendous talent. And I think that that's obvious that we saw him um, in 2017, what a year that he put up. But, you know, since that point, you know, sure he's had some good, you know, touchdowns, interceptions. Because if you look at the two seasons post MVP, 48 touchdown passes, 14 interceptions, which, you know, is pretty good. You know, that averages out to 21 touchdowns and seven picks. Um, So I think like the talent is there, but it just is like, Based on what we've seen this season, based on the fact that he's had a number of, of injuries in his career, like I just think that the asking price for that is just way too high for someone like that. I just think two first round picks is a little crazy. Um, you know, that's what the Lions got from the Rams, I believe, for Matthew Stafford. And I don't know. To me, I think Matthew Stafford's a far better quarterback than Carson Wentz. Um, you know, just based on the longevity of his career the fact that he's been pretty durable, you know, and I don't know. I just think that it's a little too high for Carson Wentz, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets traded. You know, I think it's fairly obvious to see that there's not really a fit there. So, you know, will a team go all out for him? Possibly. Um, I don't think the Patriots will. I don't think that it's a smart investment on the Patriots point. You know, obviously there's the talent and there's, potential for him but at the same time you know he's owed a lot of money you know that contract that he has right now is uh, not good and i think with the patriots looking at how much cap space they have and looking at the amount of different areas in their roster that they need to upgrade i just think to me shelling out uh, the, that much money for a quarterback is silly you know if they want to go out and spend money for a quarterback that's fine but it's like i think anything past 30 million or 25 is just it's just crazy, you know. Someone like Dak Prescott, who's you know the best free agent quarterback, probably will stay with Dallas, you know, unless they screw something up really badly. Um, he's going to be a guy that's going to command thirty five million a season at least, um, and I just don't think the Patriots are going to be looking for a quarterback that's that expensive. You know, I think that if they're going to bring someone in, it's going to be someone that you know isn't too expensive or maybe it's a contract that they could get out of fairly easily. Um, And so I think Garoppolo is definitely a reasonable player that they could bring in. It's just, is there any desire for that to happen? Does Jimmy Garoppolo want out of San Francisco? You know, would the, I almost said Giants, would the 49ers be willing to, you know, move on from him? uh, Did it, did it again. Um, The 49ers have a, Mid-first-round pick, I believe it's 12 or 13. And so, you know, the thought process there is, okay, maybe they feel like they could find someone in the draft who's a little cheap and someone who maybe doesn't have injury history like Garoppolo does. Um, Why I think it's reasonable for the Patriots to bring him in is because I think his asking price would not be as high, I think, due to the injury, you know, questions. You know, I think that the Patriots could get him for – A couple draft picks on draft on draft day you know i don't think that this is something that it would involve them trading a first round pick necessarily maybe it would but i just think like if the 49ers are i don't want to say desperate but if they're willing to move on from him there's a possibility they could just trade him for a draft pick and that's something that um, jeff howard detailed in his athletic article uh which we'll reference in a moment um about some free agents and, you know, off-season targets that the Patriots could look at, that there's a scenario where San Francisco maybe gives them to the Patriots for a draft pick. But again, I don't want to speculate too much, but I think that if the Patriots are looking for a proven quarterback that is proven that they can they can play in the NFL and play at a pretty high level, Garoppolo is probably the most realistic target. Now, I'm not going to say that, oh, he's the most realistic quarterback, but I think if they're going to look at bringing in a quarterback who has played in the NFL and has had some success, that he's going to be the guy. You know, it's not going to be Watson. It's not going to be Aaron Rodgers. It's not going to be Russell Wilson. You know, no matter how much you hear about how maybe he wants out, it's not going to be any of those guys. It's not going to be Prescott. It's not going to be Carson Lentz. It's not going to be Matt Ryan. If it's going to be any of proven quarterbacks, it's going to be Garoppolo, so... I think that, you know, the QB rumor mill kind of leads us into the next piece, which um, I promise I am not, you know, plugging The Athletic or anything like that. But um, The Athletic is definitely worth um, worth the investment. You know, the the writing is fantastic. You get a lot of great articles. So um, an article that was written two days ago by Jeff Howe, um, who's a Patriots writer on The Athletic, uh, detailed uh, 25 realistic targets or best off-season targets for the Patriots. And some of the names... I'm not going to go fully in-depth on the article, but I think just pointing out some names that I thought were really interesting. Um, J.J. Watt is the player that jumped out to me that is someone who's kind of... I don't want to say in the twilight of his career, but he's no longer the, you know, defensive player of the year that he was three, four, five years ago. The, you know arguably, you know, best defensive player in football for a few years. Um, And he's not that player anymore. You know, he's had some injury issues. But I think, like, some people might, you know, disagree and say that, okay, you know, maybe he's at a point in his career where, you know, he wants to win, which I think that that's fair. But I also think that if the Patriots brought him in for an interview or um, a visit or whatever, whatever you call those Uh, Free agency, I I think their visits, um, that there's no reason to think the Patriots could convince him to come play. Um, You know, he's a guy that just loves football and loves to play, you know, is someone that I think would fit perfectly with, you know, the Patriots' culture and their system that it's all about, you know, doing your job, doing your job right, and it's all about the game. And I think JJ is someone who really would respond well to that, that I think it's obvious that wasn't happy in Houston, probably isn't happy with, you know, the team's culture, but I could see that I could absolutely see him coming to the Patriots and the Patriots really do need some help at, you know, pass rusher on the defensive line. So um, that's a name that is very, very realistic. I think for the Patriots, Um, Hunter Henry is another name that I think the Patriots will look at uh, pretty strongly um, another name that I thought was interesting was Levante David. Um, I'm not sure how realistic that is. this is just because, you know, I think Levante David most likely would return to Tampa Bay. But um, if the Patriots were able to, you know, give him a decent contract, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and then as far as some other names, you know, Curtis Samuel, I've mentioned a few times on the podcast, Johnny Smith um, tight end from Tennessee, you know, that could be someone that they could look at, um, instead of Hunter Henry, uh, Jayon Brown, linebacker from Tennessee, that would be, um, an interesting target for them as well. Um, I think, I think there was another name that I saw here that was Justin Houston. That's who it was. I was trying to remember there was some name that it was like, whoa, that kind of stood out to me as someone that they could bring in. Um, I think Houston absolutely is someone they could bring in on kind of a a cheaper deal, you know, not someone who's the same player that he was in say Kansas City um but still is an effective pass rusher and you know I think that he could be and this is something that Jeff Howe said he could be a leader for some of the young linebackers that the Patriots have that um would be a good good would be a good player. For Chase Winovich, Josh Uche to be able to kind of learn off of, I think that that would be a really smart investment by the Patriots if they had if they brought him in. Um, just trying to look at any other names that I thought were were interesting. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think, was the only other one that I wanted to mention. So he's someone that I think either way, you know, depending on what direction the Patriots go in whether they, you know, try to bring in Garoppolo and try to do everything they can to bring him in, you know, or they go the youth route and try to draft someone in the first or second round. I think either way, either way, you could bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick to, you know, compete for that starting job or have him be the starter for a year or two um, before you get that young quarterback, you know, ready to be um, ready to be the starter. And I think that even if they brought in Garoppolo, it still would be a possibility that they could bring in a quarterback too. Uh, because Garoppolo's contract, if I believe, is something that the Patriots could feasibly get out of um, at a certain point. And so, you know, if they bring him in and he plays great, then it's like, okay, maybe you've found your guy. But if he comes in, maybe gets hurt again or doesn't play well, you can have, you know, the fallback of a young quarterback. But I think either way, someone like Ryan Fitzpatrick would – make a lot of sense for the Patriots sure it would you know complete his career around the AFC East um, but I think that that's a reasonable target the Patriots could bring in for a quarterback because he's someone that isn't perfect but if you surround him with the right players on offense he can give your team a chance to win and I think that as long as the Patriots have an offense next season that keeps them in games you know maybe makes some mistakes, but keeps them in games, gives them a chance to win that I think their defense, you know, can come up with the, the, they can come up with the the right plays that they can win games that, you know, as long as the offense plays well, doesn't turn the ball over, you know, then you can kind of have a successful team because I think the Patriots defense is going to be a lot better this, you know, next season. Um, with the guys coming back from the opt-outs, high Hightower, and Chung, you know, and feasibly some players that you bring in from free agency and probably the draft, I have confidence that the Patriots defense can return to be a very, very good unit that can keep the team in most games. And so as long as you have an offense that, you know, isn't as stagnant as the one you saw this season, you know, you should be fine. You know, it's not unreasonable to think that you could win nine or 10 games playing that way um, because it's worked for some teams, you know. I think when you think of Tennessee, like not right now, but Tennessee maybe a few years ago um, with Marcus Mariota that, you know, it really was the hallmark of their defense that was able to get them into the playoffs. You know, he played decently well. Now, I know it's ironic that I brought up Marcus Mariota because that's a name that I think some people have brought up that uh, maybe he wants to start. Wouldn't really be my first choice to bring in um, if I was the Patriots, but He's another kind of wild card that I think would be very interesting. You know, if they brought in him along the lines of like a a Fitzpatrick, but I guess like I'd rather bring in Marcus Mariota to push someone and not necessarily to start. And so, you know, I don't know if he necessarily wants to do that at at this point in his career, but um, definitely keep your eye out um, for Marcus Mariota um, if the Patriots, you know, do maybe take a chance on him. Um, so I think that, you know, probably does it for NFL. It's a little short, um, you know, probably won't be talking too much NFL, um, in the next few weeks, you know, unless big trades happen, um, between now and the start of free agency, which is just, uh, just over a month away. I think it's March 17th that free agency starts. So, um, keep you updated on that. If there are any big trades that happen or Uh, any news that comes along that is uh, interesting from the National Football League. So, I think we can move on to uh, talking about the Bruins. Um, Another huge win for the Bruins last night. Another overtime win. And let me tell you, you know, the overtime games are fun. You know, they're really fun when you win, but holy cow, were they stressful. You know, it's just like... It seems like the last couple of games, it's just the games are destined for overtime, you know, that it's back and forth, you know, you have pockets where you're playing well, pockets where you don't play well. Um, It was a weird game last night for the Bruins. It really was, you know, not much happened in the first period, you know, you had kind of a weird bounce. Both of the Ranger goals last night were weird. You know, both of them were kind of bad bounces that went the Rangers way. You had Freddie... No, it wasn't Freddie Gauthier. No, it was a different Gauthier. I think it was Julian, I think, plays for the Rangers. So anyway, he got the first goal last night in the first period. Um, You know, not much really happened in the first period. You know, it was something that Pierre Maguire said that, you know, both teams are kind of, you know, feeling each other out a little bit, you know, and the structure was really strong for both of the teams, especially in the neutral zone, that it really wasn't... Neither team was giving the other team you know, really a chance to do too much. So to be honest, it was almost like watching every Bruins-Ranger game, you know, from the last 10 years where it very often plays out that way. Um, Bruins got a huge goal in the shorthand, Chris Wagner. um, is just such a good penalty killer, you know, and that's one of the areas that I did not expect was going to be this strong um, in the early part of the season. Bruins are doing a tremendous job uh, killing penalties at Young D have been tremendous. Um, and they're defending the front of the net and really just not giving up a lot of high-quality chances. Now, naturally, if you're on, when you're on the penalty kill, you know, you will give up some big-time chances. But, you know, the Bruins have done a great job kind of keeping those to the minimum. Um, but and then got a shorthanded goal. They've been pretty good shorthanded this year. Uh, Bruins took the lead in the third, Anders Bjork, with a great setup from Jake DeBrusque. You know, it just—it was, it was a great night from Jake DeBrusk. It was good to see him back in the lineup. He'd been out for um, a couple of weeks, but you know, it's—it's—it's a—it's like I feel I'm—I'm I'm happy about it, but at the same time, it's like you want him to play like that every night. You know, and it's not necessarily scoring goals, getting on the score sheet. You know, putting seven shots on goal, which he did last night but it's just being a factor in the game. And I just feel like too often over the last, you know, two and a half years or whatever it's been, that he just kind of is, is invisible during a game and, you know, just doesn't really bring a lot to the table. But last night was not one of those nights. I mean, he was so engaged, seven shots, you know, yeah, probably should have been a cold shot that he had that uh, went bar down but didn't cross the line. You know, it's just... It just was frustrating because it's like he wants so bad for that shot to go in. Um, but he stuck with it, threw seven shots on goal, had a great setup for Anders Bjork. You know, I thought that the two of them with Coil, you know, that line had a really strong game last night. Um, then obviously you get another crazy bounce. Rangers tie the game. Um, you know, there's some confusion about whether the play was a high stick. Um, but, you know, I think the ruling was that it was, but because it had hit Rask you know, it then becomes, you know, any player can touch it. I think it would have been different had, you know, Lemieux somehow tipped the puck with a high stick and then Kevin Rooney was the first player to touch it. Then it would have been disallowed, I believe. But because it touched Rask, it then becomes, you know, fair game that anyone can touch it. So uh, Rooney then ties the game. Game goes to overtime. And uh, Charlie McAvoy just you know, it's, it's one of those things that he just keeps making like gigantic plays, especially defensively. And you're just are like, it's like, sometimes you see something in sports where you just, you know, you're speechless. You're just like, how does the same player, you know, keep coming up big in big situations. And I know last year, you know, everyone wanted to harp on McAvoy for the fact that maybe he wasn't shooting enough. Oh, he wasn't scoring enough goals. Well, you know, he's a defenseman. He's not really supposed to score a lot of goals. But, you know, the the level of growth in his defensive game is just tremendous. You know, and you saw it on full display last night, you know, breaking up that play, a potential odd man rush for the Rangers, then leads Brad Marchand for the game-winning breakaway. Marchand, no no issues whatsoever putting that puck past um, Georgiev. So the Bruins just stuck with it, you know, and I think that it's a lot like last year where the Bruins are just finding ways to win. You know, whether it's an overtime, whether it's, you know, whatever whatever way it is, the Bruins are finding ways to win. I think that that's the most important thing. And that is really what led them to be so successful last year before the pause. You know, 100 points, only team to get there. So really, like, honestly, no worries for me from this Bruins team. I mean, obviously, naturally, there are some things that are, you know, you want to see certain guys, you know, continue to play with an edge, you know, like DeBrusque, for example. Um, it was good to see Matt Grizzlick back in the lineup. Um, you know, he has also been out for a decent amount of time. But honestly, I think Connor Clifton, the games that he played, you know, he was really solid. You know, I think that, yes, still, you know, he's a little bit, I still get uneasy when he handles the puck sometimes in the defensive zone, because sometimes he just is a little too aggressive for his own good. But, you know, hey, at least he's someone that, you know, you watch and you notice, you know, it's not like you're watching him and, you know, oh, Clifton's in the game. It's like, oh, Clifton's in the game. You know, okay. it's like something that you notice that he jumps out off the off the page. Um, so he's just such a great good, a, <laughs> such a great depth defenseman to have because he can jump in anywhere and you know, really makes an impact. Um, so it was good to see Grizzly back. Um, obviously, there was a little bit of confusion with Tuca Rask at the end of the game. Uh, I'm sure that if you were watching the game, you noticed that uh, Tuca starts to go off the ice with uh, about a minute and 20 seconds left in the game. And, you know, me obviously watching that, I was like, oh, they're getting a power play. You know, oh, okay. You know, he's leaving the net because they're getting a power play. And I was like, oh, nice. And then, you know, you... See the commotion, guys are waving, and it's like, okay, wait a second, you know, there's no penalty on the play, and you know, I think there was something in the paper after the game, like he said, I thought the game was two to one, I thought that they, were, I thought we were losing, so, you know, obviously with when that situation happens, you know, the Bruins had the puck, so no harm, no foul, but it just was like, whoa, okay, like, timeout for a second, you know, and it was, it was good to see Tuga kind of laugh it off and be like, all right, like. I kind of screwed up and, you know, you know, and it's just like, I don't want to harp on this because I've harped on this for so long, but it's just like, I absolutely know that there are some people watching that, that were like, oh, you know, Tuka doesn't care. He doesn't care about the game, you know? And it's like, the guy just can't catch a break from people. It's like, even if he does something that's kind of moderately funny, it's like, oh, he doesn't care about the game. And it's like, all right, you know. So, I don't know. It, it was a funny moment, but glad that it didn't, you know, bite the Bruins in the butt. You know, I think Marshan said something like he was going to pass the puck back to him. It's like, holy cow, can you imagine if that went wrong? Um, but uh, yeah, Tuca gets back in the net. Bruins finish out regulation, get the point, and then get the extra point with uh, Marshan's game winning goal. So, a lot of good things for the Bruins. You know, good to see Debrusque back in the lineup. Um, I am very curious to see how long DeBrusque stays on that third line. Um, you know, when do the Bruins kind of reconfigure the lines? When do they undoubtedly put DeBrusque back with Krejci, which I think is going to happen at some point. Um, and so I just think I'm curious about what that next point's going to be. You know, and then what happens with Craig Smith? You know, does he drop down to play with Coyle? Or does he stay up with Krejci? Uh, where does Anders Bjork go? So, um it will be very interesting to see in the next few games, you know, when the Bruins get some guys back. Andre Kasha, still haven't heard much from him. I did see, though, that he has started skating, so maybe he's close to returning. Um, Bruins are, are at, at sent Jack Studnicka back to back to um, Providence, really Marlboro, because they're playing at the uh, New England Sports Center this season. Um, so, you know, I think with Studnicka, it's just... He just kind of needs reps and I think needs some coaching. You know, he's definitely not a finished finish, finished prod, prod product. Um, but I just think, you know, he can do with some seasoning, you know, down in the AHL. You know, and I think that right the right spot comes along, you know, he'll do fine. You know, it's just, he's a young player and he's still trying to find his game. You know, he's not someone that, you know, you draft in the first round you are and, you're, and you know, he's fine. He just did the NHL game perfectly. You know, not everyone's like that. So um, it'd be interesting to see, you know, what the season looks like for Jack, you know, how he does um, in Boston. You know, hasn't really made too much of an impact uh, with the Bruins, but, you know, definitely the potential's there. Um, so the Bruins will play the Rangers again on Friday. Um, and then they will have a back-to-back Bruins will play in... Uh, Long Island. will take on the Islanders. And then uh, not really sure when the Bruins are playing next because the uh, NHL has postponed some games uh, with the, I think, the Devils. So the Bruins, I think, were scheduled to play the Devils um, next week. So, you know, we'll see if they're able to get those games in. I mean, obviously, the outdoor game at Lake Tahoe is coming up very quickly. Um, It's almost about a week away at this point. So, you know, I think you probably should hold your breath on that game. You know, I know the expression is don't hold your breath, but I think it should hold your breath. Cause I don't know if, um, the Bruins are going to be able to play in that game just based on, you know, COVID protocols and just kind of the way that things have been happening in the NHL in the, in, in recent weeks. So, um, not sure if they're going to be able to play that game, but if they do, obviously it'll be a tremendous sight to see in Lake Tahoe. So, um, I think moving from the Bruins, look at the rest of the NHL. Um, The Toronto Maple Leafs are atop the NHL right now, beat the uh, Canadians 4-2 last night in the only other NHL game. Uh, Toronto with 14 games played, 11-2-1, 23 points. Uh, Bruins are the only other team to have 20 points right now. So Toronto, I think, really making the most of the division that they're in. Um, you know, as I was looking at the standings, you know, you think you look at some of the teams and on most days, I think Toronto is going to be better than the majority of the teams in that division. You know, I think that this division most likely is going to be Toronto and Montreal neck and neck the entire season. Um, be curious to see what the rest of that division looks like. Um, you know, Ottawa obviously has been struggling a lot. Um, but I think those final two playoff spots in the North, um, are going to be very interesting to watch. So, uh, Toronto continuing their hot start. Um, Montreal have been playing incredibly well. Uh, I mean, they are still playing pretty well, but Toronto has now kind of passed them as that hottest team in the league um, as, they've, as they have won uh, four straight uh, Toronto has. Uh, Bruins, obviously, two points in front of Philadelphia for first place in the East. Um, you know, the East has had kind of a weird week or a couple of weeks cause the Rangers or excuse me, uh, Sabres and the Devils have had a lot of games postponed. So, um, obviously keep your eye on that. You know, I think that there's a possibility that you could see a pause, um, in the next week or so, just based on the amount of games that are being postponed and, you know, might get to be an unfair advantage or unfair disadvantage for certain teams, you know, having to make up the games that they're going to have to make up. Um, so worth mentioning, the Bruins have won four straight, um, are getting some a little bit of breathing room from Washington. Obviously, Philadelphia is just two points behind. Um, but the Bruins have been awesome. It's really been awesome. Uh, Twelve games, 9-1-2. Only one game where they've not picked up points. The one nothing loss to the Islanders. Um, the third game of the season, I believe. In the Central, Tampa Bay is on top with 19 points. They've been playing really well out of the gate. They've won six straight games. Um, The rest of that central. You know, I think I said this last week. This this division is going to be just crazy. I really think that anything can happen in this division other than, you know, Tampa Bay being in first, Detroit probably being in last. But I honestly think any combination of teams in that division could get to the playoffs. Chicago has been playing really well recently. They won three in a row. Florida has been off to a good start this season. Um, Dallas, I think for the most part too, you know, as much as they had to start the season late, I think that they've picked up, you know, right on track from where they were last season. I know they're not, you know, dominating the division or anything, but, you know, they are playing some pretty good hockey. Um, In the West, Vegas looks really, really good. You know, they're really the only team in the West that I think looks really dangerous at the moment. You know, I think that Colorado... Will pick it up at some point. And it's not like they're playing bad. I mean, they're seven three and one, but I think that you know Vegas top to bottom, I think has been the best team kind of out west this season, um, as they are eight one and one, have only lost one game in regulation. So, you know, it it will be interesting to see how the league um, handles you know the, the the COVID the COVID stuff, and it just is like as I said last week. You know, I think it's. It's it's, a, it's difficult because I think on one hand, you know, you want to see the players being as safe as possible. But, you know, you, you know, the league doesn't necessarily, I mean, and, and I, 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 I shouldn't say it like that. But, like, I don't know if the league necessarily has player safety in their best interest. You know, I know that they say that they do, but I think, like, it, clearly you're seeing some teams that, you know, have had outbreaks, you know, and it just is, It yeah, it's it's coming to a point where it's like, okay, maybe this really wasn't the best idea. And it just, it is interesting that, you know, you've seen all the teams in the North playing in Canada, they've not had any issues whatsoever. You know, so what does that tell you? Well, that tells you that, you know, the virus isn't as much of a big issue in Canada as it is here. You know, maybe the teams are really adhering to protocols you know and just it's just a difficult situation because i think the, the the league's in a tough spot i think the league's in a spot that the nba was in a couple of weeks ago with um you know COVID and games being postponed and things like that and you know teams having to pause for decent amounts of time or teams playing with eight or nine players and um, it just will be interesting to see what the next few weeks bring um, from the NHL. You know, do they do they see a need to pause? Um, I think they probably should, you know, based on how bad some things have gotten with certain teams. But I guess we will see. Um, I think we can move on to the NBA. Um, and things are not necessarily looking great for the Celtics. When um, we talked to you guys last uh, they had just started their West Coast trip, one and one, win against the Warriors, loss against the Kings. Um, Celtics had a huge win against the Clippers uh, a week ago, 119-115. Big win on the road. Uh, Celtics did not have Jalen Brown. Clippers did not have um, Paul George. So The Celtics really you know, banded together, played a really strong game. I thought that on this West Coast road trip, I think Tristan Thompson... Has finally played at a level that we expect him to. So I think that that was you know a solid win, and you know the Celtics two and one on their West Coast trip, going into Phoenix for that Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, just couldn't make a shot. They just could not make a shot in that Phoenix game. Um, I think that they shot under forty percent for that game, and it just was one of those game one of those days that. Just nothing was going in, you know, nothing really was going the Celtics way. Um, in that Suns game, they ended up losing 191. Um, and yeah, it was a game that just kind of, you felt like they should have been, they should have been up to play in this game, you know, and I think that Celtics have had some issues in years past of getting up for afternoon games. You know, this was a two o'clock start, um, well, not, a, not two o'clock local time, two o'clock, you know, here in Boston, um, but they just were flat, you know, and then just completely fell apart against the Jazz on Tuesday night um, with their 122 to 108 loss. You know, finishing the West Coast trip at two and three, so it was like you felt okay for the Celtics going into that game against Phoenix, but they dropped that one, then they dropped the game to the Jazz, where they just kind of, they really just kind of gave up in that fourth quarter. It really just was not good enough from the team. Um, and yeah, Jalen Brown had some choice words to say, and, you know, the Celtics are not really in a great spot. You know, now you have Toronto, they're starting to play some better basketball. They're playing the Celtics tonight. Um, that should be a really important game for the Celtics. Um, and it just is, it's, it's just inexcusable is what it is. And I know that Marcus Smart's been out for a couple games or, well, no, he's been out for the last five games. And they haven't had him, but it's like that's no excuse. You know, that's no excuse for not bringing the required effort, you know, in the fourth quarter. And I think unfortunately the Celtics are, you know, settling for too many jump shots. And, you know, the free throw attempts, sure, you know, if you want to say what you want to say about the officiating, which, you know, I think in the NBA is a joke, you know, I'm not really going to say anything else, but you know, the Celtics really got to start being more aggressive and need to start making things simple. Um, you know, and one of the issues that a lot of people have had recently is Kemba Walker and him getting back to that all-star level, um, and getting him to play a lot of minutes and he's not really responded well to it. You know, he's in a really, really bad shooting slump and you know, I don't know. It seems like this happened last year in the playoffs. And, you know, it's just shots are not going down. And you'd like to think that, okay, maybe it's because he's still not quite right from that injury. And he's still trying to come back. Um, and oftentimes when you try to come back really hard, you know, it's, it's a challenge. You know, and you can't play at the same level. You can't get shots to go down. But it's like when the Celtics are without Marcus Smart for this stretch, you need a third person to be able to score the basketball and they've not been able to get that. And, you know, part of me thinks that, okay, if that doesn't change, are they going to make a trade earlier than we think, you know, are they going to pull the trigger on a deal because they just desperately need some scoring, you know, do the Celtics just pull the trigger on a trade to get Harrison Barnes or, Aaron Gordon or someone like that? Do they just pull the trigger on it? Um, you know, I'd like to think that maybe they could do something small, like bring in someone like a JJ Redick or, you know, someone who can come in off the bench and score. Um, but it just is, it's, it's not looking great for the Celtics, you know, and I think that hopefully with four out of the next five are at home and, you know, you got some teams coming in here that, you know, aren't great. You got Detroit coming in tomorrow night. You got Atlanta coming in next week. Uh, you know, you're going, you're playing Washington at, at one point. Um, but hopefully the Celtics can maybe string together some home wins and, you know, get the level of intensity back to where it needs to be. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just, everyone, everyone's got to do it. It's got to be a collective. You know, it can't just be Jalen Brown, you know, saying, guys, hey, come on, let's get going. You know, everyone's got to do that. So I it's it's hard to have confidence in this team right now, but I think, like, you could have some comfort in the fact that the rest of the Eastern Conference really isn't figured their stuff out either. You know, Philadelphia and Milwaukee really are the only teams that, you know, are really have figured things out. Everyone else is just kind of playing catch-up to those, te- those two teams, and that includes the Nets. Now, they're only 15 and 12. Celtics are 12 and 11. Um, so, you know, I found that really interesting this season. That really no teams in the East besides Milwaukee and Philly have gotten off to good starts. So, um, definitely a lot of room to improve for the Celtics, but um, they can get back there. I'm convinced that you know they'll be able to get back to playing at a high level. They just kind of need to find that. Um, but I think it, it, it make the game simpler. You know, stop committing silly fouls. You know, stop getting into foul trouble late in game. Stop sending teams into the penalty with eight minutes to play in the fourth quarter. You know, some things have to change. You just got to be, I don't know, more efficient on offense. And it's like, that's easier said than done. But that leads me to believe that, you know, things don't really change in the next three, four, five games. Maybe they coded that TP, that Traded player exception. Maybe they go to that way earlier than the trade deadline. Um, I think the trade deadline is sometime in March. Um, so maybe they go to that earlier than people think. Um, obviously, there's stuff flying around that. Oh, you know, Danny Ainge is up to something. But you know, then again, we've heard that uh, we, we've heard that quite a bit over the last couple of years. So you know, not sure if that really means anything. Um, one other NBA note. Um, I think I talked about this last week. I think the NBA All Star Game, the going forward with that with the Players Association, is a really bad idea. Um, I just think you. I just think playing an All Star game in this year, in particular, is just not only is it I think it's unsafe just because of the virus, but I also just think it's not really smart. When you have had, you know, teams that came into the start of the season having played, you know, two months earlier, and it's just like guys need that rest. You do not need to play an All Star game, you know, in a in a shortened season like this. But you don't need to play one, you know, in a, in a pandemic. Like what are what are we doing here? You know, like, and I also think it's kind of ridiculous that the players were under an understanding that they weren't going to play an All Star game. You know, now the league is going to change it, and it's like, okay, now you're going to have guys playing in this game who don't really care, you know? And it's like, the whole point of this this game, people don't really care until the fourth quarter. So it's like, okay, I just, I don't understand why we're playing this game. I don't understand why this needs to happen. I just think it's a really, really stupid idea to play it in a pandemic. Like, what are we doing? You know, like... (laughs) I think the league's been doing a better job in the last week or so, the last couple weeks with the virus, but it's like, we're asking these guys to go down to Atlanta, you know, we're letting fans in the arena, and now we're going to do, you know, dunk contests and stuff. It's like, yeah, it's a great thing to watch, but it's like, why do you need to do it now? Why do you need to watch an NBA All-Star game? Like, why do you need to watch a glorified pickup game, you know, with... (laughs) Joel Embiid jacking up eight threes in a game. Like, who wants to see that? You know, like, who wants to see Rudy Gobert throw up, like, five threes? Like, what are we doing here? It just, I don't know. It just seems really, really stupid that we're we're talking about playing this game. And, you know, and I said this last week, like, I don't know why there are players in the NBA Players Association that, like, are agreeing to go forward with this when you've heard a lot of complaints from a lot of other players, and it's just like there definitely is some disconnect there that we are missing. Um, so that was just the last little NBA thing I wanted to talk about. You know, we'll take a look at the, the standings right now. The uh, Sixers obviously in first place in the East, followed by the Bucks. The Celtics are currently in fourth place in the East at 12 and 11, five games back of first place. They'll take on the Raptors tonight. Raptors are right behind them in fifth. Uh, and then the rest of the playoff structure is followed, is, uh, followed out by Indiana, Charlotte, and Atlanta. If, you know, the Heat are starting to climb a little bit in the, in the standings if they, as they've won three straight games and are starting to get guys back to playing regularly, um, and that includes Jimmy Butler. So I think definitely keep your eye on the Heat as they'll probably continue to climb um, in the standings. I don't expect... Charlotte and Atlanta to last in the playoff structure. But, you know, I guess I, guess I could be wrong. Um, in the Western Conference, you know, Utah is still playing at a great clip. Nine wins in their last ten. Five straight wins. And Lakers are coming up really fast in the West as they've won six straight games now. And they are just a half game out of first. Clippers in third. Phoenix in fourth followed by Portland, San Antonio, Denver, and then Golden State in that eight spot, that final eight spot. Uh, Dallas has picked it up a little bit. They've won three straight games, so they're kind of back in the conversation for the playoffs. Uh, Phoenix is playing at a good clip. They've won four straight, 7 out of 10, had that uh, win against the Celtics last weekend. Um, so Phoenix definitely is a team to watch. You know, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker. Um, I think they got a good group of bench players, too. Um so I think that you know yeah I think the Clippers and the Lakers probably are the teams that most people are going to pick to to do well in the playoffs but you know trust right. me I think Phoenix is going to be around I think they're going to be a team that you know will will have will present some issues for some of the top teams I think Denver too you know I know that they've not gotten off to the best start as they're 13 and 11 um Six and four in their last ten. Nine and nine in the conference. Um, only six and six at home. But you know, I think Denver is good enough that they'll be able to figure it out. Um, but uh, yeah, Denver and Phoenix, two teams to keep your eye on. Um, then obviously Utah. You know, Donovan Mitchell is playing at uh, an unbelievable level. He was unbelievable against the Celtics the other night. Um, it's just so good to see. I mean, he's a guy that just—it's just one of is one of those guys that you root for. You know that he's just such a good guy, such a good face for the NBA, and I think that it just there's so much positive that comes out of that of of that guy. And um, yeah, it was tough watching him, you know, drilling all these threes the other night. But he's really one of the NBA's great guys, and really someone that you can be proud of. That okay, this is going to be one of the guys that is going to, you know, keep you know take the torch from. LeBron James take the torch from you know some of the guys who are stars in the league right now and he will be you know one of the biggest stars in the league you know eight five eight years from now so you know good to see him good to see Utah playing really well and kind of showing the rest of the NBA that okay you know the Utah Jazz are a pretty damn good basketball team so um, they've been an interesting and fun team to watch uh, for most of this season so we will move on to some MLB. I know that a lot of people are really interested to hear uh, what I have to say about Andrew Benintendi's uh, trade to the Kansas City Royals that happened uh, last night during the Bruins game. So, you know, naturally I didn't hear about this until after the Bruins game. I typically don't have my phone with me while I'm watching uh, the Bruins. So I come back to, to my phone and, you know, all this stuff about... Benintendi going on Twitter, and a lot of people are talking about it, you know, rightfully so. So um, this was something that, you know, we talked about We talked talked about this um, with Eric Bellia a few weeks ago. Um, and so I think, you know, he's someone that definitely still has some good potential, but, you know, there definitely have been some warning signs um, in the last couple of years that maybe his bat speed is not as good as it, you know, once was. And I think that uh, the Red Sox maybe are... Thinking that maybe it is kind of a, a downward slide, but you know I think that there there's two things to this trade. And the first thing is I think the Red Sox and his potential and some of the things I just said, like the Red Sox may not believe that he can get back to that you know almost all star level and you know it might just be that the Red Sox don't really believe in him, you know, and I know that that's kind of that's kind of disappointing to hear. Uh, But I think that, you know, it's something that you kind of waited for him to break through and he kind of never has, but he is very young. And so there's possibility that maybe he just needed a change of scenery, you know, and can do better in a place like Kansas City, where there's probably not going to be as much pressure. I mean, there's so much pressure on that kid when he was drafted first round in, you know, 2016, you know, a lot of hype around this kid. So, you know, maybe going to Kansas City might be good for him. Um, the other part of this trade is the Red Sox, I think, using a player like Benintendi. Now, I know that he's kind of, you know, not a, not a great value right now, but the Red Sox were able to get a number of, you know, prospects, a couple of players to be named later. And I think that the Red Sox are in a position that, you know, they don't really have a great farm system. And I think, you know, using a player like Benintendi to your advantage to see if you can replenish your farm system a little bit, I think you kind of have to do it, you know? And I think that that's what made the Red Sox such a, you know, a really good team, you know, from when they won the World Series in 2004 and 2007, you know, they had some of the best, you know, farm systems in, in the history of baseball. And so you kind of want to get back to having a really good farm system. And I think, you know, having in Bloom here is, can only mean good things for that. And I know that it's going to sting you know, to lose a guy like Ben Intendi, who is, you know, such a big part of your uh, championship in 2018 and, you know, someone that everyone loves. Um, But I think that, you know, like with the Mookie Betts trade, it's like, you know, it's something that we don't want to have to deal with, but you got to suck it up at a certain point. Um, And I think that the Red Sox are kind of ready to move on and go in a different direction with their outfield. You know, Jackie Bradley's probably not coming back. And so you're losing, Benintendi, Betts, and Bradley, so, you know, things are going to be different, but, you know, I'll be honest, I'm not totally surprised that this happened, I think that if this was going to happen, it would happen around this time, right before, you know, spring training, because I think, I don't know, it just, it just would feel weird to get to spring training, or you get to the start of the season, you know, and then you trade him, so, uh, the Red Sox getting Frenchie Cordero from uh, the Royals, he's an outfielder. Um, that has played a little bit in um, the MLB uh, 60. No, that's not, that's the amount of hits that he's had. Um, He's played a little bit, uh, 95 games over four years, played a little bit for the Padres and played uh, 16 games for the Royals last season, uh, two home runs, seven RBIs, 211. Um, Someone that I think has really good potential uh, was a, I think he's an undrafted free agent, it looks like. Or, um, like, wasn't drafted. So, uh, from the Dominican Republic, he is uh, 6'3", 226, um, made his debut in 2017. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens with with him. You know, he's kind of the piece that they got from the Royals. The Mets were also involved in this trade, is it was a three way trade. The Mets getting Royals prospect Khalil Lee, and then the Red Sox getting Josh Winkowski from the Mets. Um, and three players to be named later two from the Royals, and then one from the Mets. So um, Cordero, as we just talked about, you know, was a, was a prospect a couple years ago, has good power, you know, kind of needs to be more consistent. Um, but I think it, it might be worth the risk, you know, see how this guy does. Um, obviously has not really reached his full potential yet, but um, you know, if you go to um, baseball reference, you know, you look at his, um, his like career, his career numbers. And if you stretch that out for a full season, it's roughly 20 home runs, 61 RBIs, 236. So, you know, obviously there's some room to grow, but, um, definitely worth it on the potential. I think uh, Winkowski from the Mets was uh, recently traded to the Mets um, in the Steven Matz trade. So he's someone that um, probably is is a relief pitcher. I'm not really sure. Um, is a big guy, or actually, no, he is a starting pitcher. Uh, big guy, 6'4", 200 pounds, it uh, was a 15th round pick in 2016. Has played mostly in the lower levels um, in in the minors, 18 and 17, 335 ERA in all levels. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting. I'm not sure if both of these guys are going to be guys who are going to contribute right away. But I think that they're pieces and they're possible pieces in the farm system. And the Red Sox kind of need to improve in that area. So... Um, it's going to be what it's going to be. You know, I think that Ben Benintendi maybe really hasn't reached his full potential, you know, and maybe he needs a, a change of scenery in Kansas City. You know, obviously wish him the best. Uh, wish him, you know, maybe he can stay healthy. You know, really felt bad for him last year that, you know, really only got a couple games in or I think it was like, can't remember how many it was, but, um, the Red Sox I think, getting some solid, decent pieces, you know, you kind of never know with prospects. I think that it's kind of a, or young players, I should say that it's kind of, you know, a, a crapshoot, but I think the Red Sox are, are taking a gamble here. You know, I think the Royals are too, you know, bringing in a player like Benintendi, but it you know, should be interesting. Um, so the Red Sox also, uh, according to sources have brought in, uh, Japanese pitcher Hirokazu Sawamura from uh, Japan. It sounds like the deal um, is supposedly um, 2.4 million over two years. Um, it still is pending some procedural matters. This, according to um, Ian Brown from uh, MLB. Um, so this is from last night. So the Red Sox uh, bringing in. Uh, Japanese reliever, Red Sox obviously have had, you know, some success with uh, Japanese relievers, Hideki Okajima, if you remember him from uh, the 2007 championship, Koji Uehara, obviously, uh, Jinichi Tazawa, if you remember him. Um, so I think could be solid, you know, the Red Sox, I think, are just doing a lot of small moves to try to, you know, improve that bullpen, which is fine with me. You know, I think that um, the bullpen is an area that the Red Sox kind of Really need to do better in there. Needed to be, you know, better last season to be more successful. But um, slowly but surely, I think that this team is coming together. You know, I think maybe I've said this once or twice. I think that, you know, the Red Sox are a team that it could compete this season. Like, I think it's feasible. They could possibly win in the mid to high 80s, maybe contend for a playoff spot. But I think, like, the expectations need to be reasonable. You know, they can't be okay. you need to win 90 games and get to the playoffs. Like, I think that that isn't really a reasonable explanation expectation for this team. I think for me personally, 85, 86 wins and you're in contention, you know, for that, for that uh, final playoff spot. Um, and so I think like, I don't know if playoffs really is a reasonable expo- expectation, But I think that naturally when you have a Red Sox team with, you know, the talent that they have, Bogarts, Betts, you know, hopefully Chris Sale coming back, Eduardo Rodriguez, J.D. Martinez, um, that you could feasibly compete for a playoff spot. I think a lot has to go right for them to do that. You know, fingers crossed that they have good health this season, specifically in the pitching rotation, that Eduardo Rodriguez can come back and be a solid pitcher and not have any ill effects from having COVID. Chris Sale comes back. And comes back at a good point. Comes back and healthy. The Red Sox get good contributions from Nate Evaldi and Garrett Richards. You know, the bullpen gets key outs. J.D. Martinez, you know, bounces back from having a tough year last year hitting. You know, Devers bounces back defensively. You get some good contributions from Kike Hernandez, Christian Vasquez. You know, whoever you bring in. Maybe you bring in someone at first base, whether it's Mitch Moreland Marwin Gonzalez, someone like that. Um, And I think if those things go right, the Red Sox could feasibly go to the playoffs. But I think that, you know, obviously the expectation here in Boston is always, you know, go to the playoffs, compete for championships. You know, I don't think they're going to do that this year, but they very well could do it next year. You know, they are setting themselves up for, you know, long-term contention, which really should be the goal for any sports franchise is being as good as you can for as long as you can. You know, I know everyone wants to have the Red Sox go out and sign George Springer and and Trevor Bauer and go out to try to buy the World Series, you know, but it doesn't work like that. I think that the Red Sox bringing in a guy like Heim Bloom, they're trying to compete for a long period of time. And maybe if it takes a little bit of time, so be it. You know, I think that too often... Especially in this market, you know, everyone wants the instant gratification. But I think, like, as time moves on, you know, it doesn't always work like that. Like, I think we as Boston fans are so lucky to have that 20-year run of teams going to championships, winning championships, and all this and all that. But I think that you have to understand that that's not normal. You know, that that's not something that just happens. You know, it has to be kind of a perfect storm of all these teams being really successful at the same time. So I think that, you know, the expectations need to be the expectations for the baseball team and not from the city of Boston that, okay, you have to compete for a championship or else the season is a failure. So um, I think the expectations, again, have to be reasonable for this team. It can't be win 95 games and win the American League East. I think it needs to be a little bit more reasonable. Um, So obviously we'll keep you updated as we get closer and closer to uh, the start of the season. Definitely we'll have Eric Bellier on again at some point. Um, So yeah, I think that that probably can do it for baseball. Uh, To close out, we'll give you guys some uh, updates on the top 25 in men's and women's college basketball. Uh, We'll start with the men's top 25. uh, Mostly the same at the top. Gonzaga and Baylor, uh, Michigan, Ohio State, and Villanova in the top five as they've kind of stayed the same. Uh, you got Illinois and Texas Tech jumping into the top ten, followed by Houston, Virginia, and Missouri who have jumped up uh, pretty high. Alabama's had a really good start to the season. They're at 11th. Um, Rutgers basketball, you know, seemingly has had a good season. Uh, They're at 25, so definitely as we get closer to March Madness, we will give you guys kind of more updates on some of these games. You know, it's kind of just been a helter-skelter type of season because you've had games being, you know, postponed left and right. So kind of hard to, you know, really gauge some of the teams. You know, I think that other than Gonzaga and Baylor, it's really hard to gauge the rest of the teams. You know, Villanova, they're always very well coached. Michigan is always well coached. You know, Texas Tech, I think that they've made some They've made some noise in, in recent years, so um, hopefully that this, you know, these tournaments can be safe for the men and the women. That you know they can get all these games in. But I think I definitely have some concerns about you know the tournament being able to to happen. You know, so I think if obviously if it does happen and we do are and we are able to keep you know these these athletes safe, that I think this tournament could be crazy. You know, really, you can see anything happen, you know, that you expect Gonzaga and Baylor to kind of be at the top, but, you know, really just it's, then it's everyone else fighting for it. So I think you could see that in the men's and the women's uh, basketball. So um, UConn had a big win, women's basketball. They beat, I think they had beaten South Carolina earlier in the week, I want to say. Um, So South Carolina still is at number one, UConn number two, uh, followed by Louisville, NC State, and Stanford um, in the top five. uh, Texas A&M, Baylor, UCLA, Maryland, and Arizona rounding out uh, the top ten. So I think also as it as it is with the men's tournament, you know, I think that the women's tournament, you know, provided that it can be safe enough, you know, could really get crazy. You know, I think that in the women's game you typically have about 5 or 6 teams that you know are really really solid and they're going to blow teams away but i think you know at the top it could get interesting louisville's been really good stanford 17 and 2 texas a&m's 18 and 1 UConn yukon hasn't played quite as many games cuz i think they've had some games that have been postponed south carolina uh, with don staley like they're always going to be a really good a really good test for for yukon you know they're probably going to fight you know, one and two and possibly maybe play each other in the final four. Um, But I think, you know, March Madness is definitely something to look forward to. You know, I think that a lot of people were feeling like they got robbed a bit last year, you know, specifically some of the athletes who were seniors and, you know, didn't get to play um, in their last tournament. So, you know, I think that we hope it can happen, but I think at the same time, it's got to be safe enough, you know, and I think as we get closer and closer You know, it's just like, I don't know, I'm getting more and more uneasy that maybe this won't happen. So I think the men's tournament scheduled to be in Indiana throughout the state, I want to say, probably, you know, Banker's Life Fieldhouse where the Pacers play, Um, Assembly Hall, I think I also heard, University of Indiana, you know, might host some games. I think that the women are going to be in San Antonio, San Antonio area. I think that's what I heard. Um, So definitely, you know, keep tabs on that as well so i think that probably does it for, for for me this week uh for episode 75 of not your average boston sports podcast as always you can follow us on twitter at not boston you can follow the facebook page you can uh, follow me on twitter at the sports guy 97 if you want um have some you know potential it's stuff in the works that'll let you guys know about um and you know now you can listen to the podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. So definitely, uh, it's going to be much easier for you guys to listen to this. So hopefully, you get out there, uh, download, like, and subscribe. Whatever you have to do, if you want to, you know, leave a rating for me on on uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes. You know, please keep it civil. You know, you don't have to shower me with play, with praise. <laughs> don't have to do that. You know, if you also, you know, wanted to let me know about things that, you know, you want to hear more about, you know, if you want me to um, give more of my thoughts on certain things, you know, you can let me know Um, because I'm always open to open to uh, criticism or open to, you know, new ideas that some people might have. So um, that does it for me this week. We'll talk to you next time.